Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Okay, folks, we are live. Welcome, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska show. I am your host, John Quick, and coming to you live from Nikiski, Alaska, the great uh, place of Alaska where you don't really go unless you live or work, and we kind of like that <laughs> out here. I have a special treat for everybody today. Uh, folks in the Must Read Alaska world, I have Representative David Eastman today. Uh, but before we go into that, I want to thank our show sponsor, Charlie Pierce for, for Governor. Uh, because of Charlie Pierce for Governor, we're able to get the conservative news all throughout Alaska. As you folks can imagine, uh, uh, Suzanne and I are like uh, running around the state uh, doing our thing and, and things cost money. And so because of sponsors like Charlie, we're able to compete with the big boys who are ran off of uh, foundations and and uh, you know subscriptions to physical newspapers. And so it's tough to compete with them, but it's possible when we get sponsors like Charlie Pierce for Governor. So thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Uh, Representative David Eastman, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show. Good morning, Jonathan, bright and early. Bright and early. So for, for the folks, for the two people that don't have never heard of you, tell people just a brief tidbit without going into our uh, awesome questions about um, who you are and what district you're in, and uh, and uh, just so the f good folks listening in can kind of know who you are. Sure, sure. Well, uh, excuse my uh, blurry eyes this morning. We were fighting the battle for election integrity till about midnight last night in committee, so it was a late night. But uh, very glad to be there on behalf of the folks I represent in the Matsu Valley, and my district is the western and northern parts of Matsu. A lot of rural neighborhoods, um, Willow, a little bit of Wasilla, Halkeetna, and uh, even farther north than that. So got That's a chance awesome. to uh, be in the, in the state house. Uh, this is my third term. Well, we love you in there. And the first question is this, Representative Eastman, what got you into politics in the first place? Everybody kind of has their story about um, how they, you know, uh, got drug in through a community council meeting that didn't go the right way and thought, well, who else is going to do this? And, and so what, what's your story? How'd you get drug in? Sure. Sure. Well, it's kind of a two part story. Um, in the early days, uh, I mean, my very early days, uh, my parents were both board members on a right to life in California. Uh, and so there was that, that exposure. And then when I was in the military serving on J bear, which was uh, Fort rich at the time, uh, one of the gentlemen that I got a chance to work uh, very closely with in um, the same battalion staff office was a gentleman by the name of Brian Sullivan, who was uh, an assistant district attorney here in Alaska, former state legislator in Seattle, and then a school board in the Matsu. Uh, he was serving there for uh, a period of time. Uh, when I was in, in the Army, in fact, uh, kind of on my, my way out, but not quite. Um, he and I both attended a Republican district convention together, and that was back in 2008. And uh, at the meeting, you know, someone asked me if, uh, if I would run for bonus chair. 
uh, you know, bonus vote position. And um, uh, Brian kind of gave me the nod like it was okay to go to the meeting and that sort of stuff. Um, I don't know that exactly was, but but he was there. He <laughs> outranked me. He was a major. I was only a captain. Uh, so I, I figured it was good enough for, for government work. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> nice. So did you become the uh, bonus vote? Uh, actually, I did. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was the uh, bonus vote for a couple years out here in our district. And man, I didn't realize bonus vote means you got to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> you got to show up to a lot in, of meetings. In my district, it was you got to help the chair run everything and, and do all the work. So, yeah. Nice. So uh, one of the cool parts about your story that uh, uh, I read about and, and maybe some people don't know is that you um, went to a very prestigious uh, army school. And um, talk to us a little bit about maybe how that time going to college there and serving in the army, uh, did that help you, you know, with a life of public service now you're elected official um, I actually played golf at that school back in the day. So uh, <laughs> once or maybe twice, it was, it's, it was one of the most interesting, interesting schools I've ever been to. It, it's probably the only school that I can think of that has an actual U S government mint on location. Yes, there's mint and there's a golf course uh, and they're both yeah. you know, right, right outside uh, campus. So you can walk there if you, if you care to. Um, of course, walking around campus is not necessarily the easiest thing. There's a lot of mountains at West Point. Yeah. <laughs> but so talk, my, talk to us uh, about West Point you know, and, and if that, you know, being in the military army specifically helped you with uh, being an elected official. Yeah. Uh, well, the four years I spent at West Point were um, periods of, of transition. I started at the end of the Clinton administration and, um, and then into the Bush administration. Uh, by the time I was out of the army, uh, Obama was already... Uh, president. So I got a chance to, to see the country in, in through three different administrations, and they were very different. And uh, during my time at West Point, the culture war was in full swing. Um, you know, one of my uh, mandatory lectures I had to attend was from uh, a gay cannibal from Papua New Guinea. Um, and he uh, was there on behalf of the English department. Um, so there was more than a few things going on. There was uh, Certainly a lot of changes in uh, the English department. Um, Shakespeare was thrown out for a time before he was brought back. Um, uh, the stuff they tried to replace him with wasn't any good, I assure you. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was more politics, I think, than is customary for the, the, the most West Point graduates over the last you know, 200 or so years that the academy's been around. Yeah, probably even, probably even worse now. It's, it's come a long way even since I graduated. That's right. So when you, uh, when you served in the Army, do you, do you think sometimes when you're in these situations as an elected official, like, well, if I, if I pair the child's uh, play for kind of the elected official life compared to war and all those kinds of things that you have to prepare for in the army comparable or are they basically two different uh apples and oranges um well there's more parallels than not and and i think uh war is the extension of diplomacy by other means um and certainly there's a lot of politics involved and yeah there was plenty of preparation of uh being in some 
tense and difficult situations in the army uh, in Afghanistan, uh, having come back from those, uh, a lot of the stresses and rigors of, of being a legislator, while it, it is stressful at times, um, doesn't compare on that level. And, yeah. and I wish more of our elected officials had, had served some time in the military, uh, had been on the front lines, know what it's like to, you know, either, um, you know, have your life in, in danger or at risk or, or you know, be in combat and, and come away from that. Um, knowing that, that you can stand and, and you can do what you need to do and you can come back and live to tell the tale and, uh, you know, it'll be all right afterwards. I like that. I, I want to, I, um, my representative is Ben Carpenter and, uh, man, I, I can't thank him enough for his service and how, you know, that, he talks a little bit. He was on our show a couple months ago and talked about how that helped prepare him for having to deal with all the shenanigans that happened at the uh, uh, in the house. So, um, thanks for your insight on that. Um, tell tell me a little bit about maybe a couple accomplishments in your life um, on the political front that you're proud of. I know that uh, oftentimes it feels like it's possibly an uphill battle, especially the last couple years in the house where you know us folks that are not elected representatives think oh man it's going to be awesome we have the majority of republicans in the house and then things tend to shift and be different as folks switch over to the uh, democrat side um so tell me so it makes it hard to accomplish things is my point as a republican when uh, folks are going over and creating their own uh, majority with the democrats so tell me some one or two accomplishments that you're uh, super proud of, uh, you know, in the last couple terms that you've been there elected. Sure, sure. Well, you know, one of uh, one of the folks I like to talk about is Calvin Coolidge, and he was well known for saying that you know it's not the the bills that you pass, it's the bad bills that you stop. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's certainly been the case. Um, in in one exception that comes to mind, it was not only a bad bill that. Uh, we needed to stop, actually we needed to stop before I got elected, um, but we also were able to repeal, and that was SB 91. And when I was uh, first a candidate for the House, I was going door to door. Um, SB 91 hadn't been signed yet. The legislature had passed it. Um, Governor Parnell, other voices, myself included, were asking uh, the current governor not to sign it. Um, and I was you know, going door to door talking about what it was. Uh, some people knew, some people didn't. Uh, there was one uh, door I knocked on where I said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm opposed to SB 91 and got a, a polite, you know, okay, well, I like it, so go away. Um, but the vast majority of, of the doors I knocked on, either people, you know, were, were concerned about it or, or didn't know about it or, or were very concerned about it. And um, so that was the issue of the day at the moment when I was uh, first campaigning, and that was my first three years. Um, and I certainly wasn't alone in opposing it, but uh, between uh, then Representative Laura Reinbold and I, um, you know, we, uh, in many respects, you know, were working um, together to help uh, eliminate that. And, and that was a, um, I won't say fruitless, but, but a very um, not fruitful effort for those first uh, two yeah. years. And, um, and it was, it was painstaking work, you know, having to, to put forward the arguments, having to make awareness of what the issues were, um, being told, 
you know, repeatedly up until just before the very end, um, you know, there's absolutely no way in, in heck that, that this is going to get repealed. Um, all the leadership in the House loves it. Uh, we need to give it five years because we need to, to let it work and get the evidence and the data. And then we can come back and talk about repealing it. Um, and that was exactly the opposite of what my constituents were asking for and what I believed in. Um, and so taking the long view from the beginning, uh, we knew it was going to be hard. We knew, you know, Governor Walker really wasn't there to help us. Um, and neither was uh, the, the rules chair, uh, Chuck Hopp. And neither was the judiciary chair, uh, Matt Clayman. Um, you know, whether they're Republican or Democrat, the leaders were very much lined up uh, to defend it and protect it. Uh, so we were told, you know, it was hopeless, it's never going to happen. But um, three years later, with the new governor, um, we were able to, to, to pull it through. So that, that's one that I'm, I'm uh, an accomplishment I'm proud of, uh, a bill that if I was in the House at the time, I would have been working to, to try and, and keep from getting passed. But um, when, when I got elected, we were able to pull it back. Yeah, man, that, that was um, just a mess of a bill. I remember talking with um, some of the um, defenders or, and, and judges here in Kenai, you know, when I was first kind of the crime sprees were happening here on the Kenai Peninsula and people were being let in, you know, they were being arrested and then let out, arrested, let out, arrested, let out. And I remember talking to some of the folks, you know, um, here in, at the Kenai courthouse, judges or lawyers or whatever. And they were basically telling me their hands are tied. What used to be they could put somebody in jail for 30 days, they have to let out the next day. What used to be, you know, put the person and have them have a significant amount of bail so that, you know, they'd have to put up something. Now it's nothing. And so it was one of those things in Nikiski, I could literally see it affecting Nikiski in a horrible way. So I appreciate your um, steadfast work on making sure that that uh, got re repealed, I guess is the best way to put it, but is yes, it's it, no longer in existence. So it, it did eventually. And I was talking with, you know, fathers who's, uh, you know, son, a son was a state trooper and was talking about how, you know, he'd arrested the same guy multiple times on the same shift. Um, and, and that was happening. That was real. And it was affecting, you know, those in my district severely, um, mostly on the, the property rights side of things. So I was talking with individuals who were telling me, you know, hey, between you and me, you know, I had to, you know, plant mines on my property because if I don't, um, you know, protect my property, then I'm not going to have, you know, anything to, to eat for my family. And, and it was, it was just that, that time of desperation. And um, if, uh, <laughs> I'm glad we're not still fighting that battle because uh, it yeah. was, it was a long one. It was a hard one, but, uh, but it was a good one. Uh, well, and what people um, don't often realize, people talking about critical race theory now, that was uh, our state's, you know, first big experiment in implementing critical race theory. That was, uh, how are we going to oppose systemic racism? Well, um, we need to oppose systemic racism in our criminal justice system by uh, reducing sentences, uh, putting people out of jail, uh, making it hard for police officers to arrest people, making it, um, you know, hard for them to stay in jail once they're, they've been arrested. And so if you if you want to know where that leads, that that's your prime example. We were a little bit ahead of the country uh, on that one. Yeah, how miserably it failed. So, um, so the big hot topic seems like every year since Walker decided to mess around with it is the permanent fund. Um, 
yesterday uh, for folks that have not heard, the Senate passed their budget and it had a $5,500 permanent fund slash energy rebate in there. And uh, Representative Eastman, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I know that the, it could possibly go back to the House. Um, do you think folks in your district would be very excited to get something like that as opposed to the crumbs that we've been getting the last couple of years? Yes. Well, I'm, I'm often reminded that, um, you know, folks are still waiting on their, you know, 2016 dividend and uh, 17, 18, 19, yeah. 20 and so forth. And, and I've been doing everything I can to uh, give it to them. Um, you know, for me, it's a, it's a question about rule of law. You know, the, the entire state had an understanding of, of what the law meant and, uh, uh the consent of the people is represented in the law passed by the legislature. And then when you have a judge come back and say, you know, uh, the people consented to something that they didn't, you know, think was, was what, and the legislature didn't think was what, and, and now we're going to operate on an entirely new law. We didn't change the law, which you could do, of course. We're just deciding to uh, make the words mean different things. Um, I mean, that undercuts not just the PFD, that undercuts uh, all of our criminal laws uh, and all of our appropriations and budgeting process. Yeah, it kind of throws a wrench in the whole thing. Um, do uh, the majority of the folks in your district, my guess would be in favor of a full permanent fund? Absolutely. Check? Yeah. Well, I that's the folks in my district as well. I think that a lot of folks in the Kenai Peninsula Borough are just like yours. Where's my, where's the rest of my 2016, 2017, 2018? I know that uh, Governor Dunleavy and other folks like yourself in the House and the Senate have, have tried to, you know, push for the full permanent fund. But um, as you know, and a lot of people don't realize, you can't do much without the majority. And so um, we'll see where this lands. And uh, hopefully it's uh, in a place where we get a check that's closer to 5,500 than it is to 1,200. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of kind of doom and gloom right now. I think not only, you know, if somebody turned on the news and saw the stuff that is happening in the lower 48 with um, essentially rioters showing up to our Supreme Court justices' houses, and um, it's kind of probably triggering a lot of stuff that happened a couple summers ago where basically groups of people literally burned down cities all across America. It tends to lend itself to very little hope for folks thinking that um, uh, America's on the right path or our, even our Alaska economy could potentially turn around. So what are you excited about in Alaska right now? Is there any big projects on the horizon? We're kind of notorious in Alaska for screwing up every big project that's kind of handed to us on a silver platter. But is there anything big that you're excited about in Alaska right now that is happening that folks need to know about? Yes, well, it's not going to be a, a capital project, um, though those can be good. Oftentimes they go bad. Um, in, in the math zoo, we had a ferry for a time. Now the Philippine Red Cross uh, owns that, last I heard. Um, so it, it's not that we need to find a, a good cause to spend a lot more money on. Um, but what I'm most excited about right now, uh, which might seem a little bit um, counterintuitive, is our, our election integrity. 
uh, having sort of been aware of that problem and, and fighting it in different ways for a very long time. Um, it goes back to the first campaign that I helped on in, in the 90s. It was a congressional race, and uh, there was all sorts of election fraud involved in that one. But, uh, you know, since then, trying to raise awareness to that issue, um, now we have a, a lot more awareness. Now we have the ability to, um, you know, try and, and make some progress there. Uh, obviously, last night we were, we're trying that um, in uh, uh, Jonathan Christ Tompkins' committee. It's, it's not something I think that uh, he would consider his top priority. So we're not there yet politically, but um, you've got folks like Dinesh D'Souza, you've got uh, folks like uh, Seth Kesha was just uh, here in town uh, two weekends ago. There is um, so much more awareness right now of, of the problem and, and how uh, pernicious it is that we are, we are miles ahead of where we've been for the last 10 years. And um, we're not there yet, but I think this is, this is the next big thing. And Alaska has been in a bad way as far as election integrity for a long time. Uh, I was there back when Joe Miller was running against Lisa Murkowski for the first time in, in 10. Uh, a lot of, of different issues that came out of that race as far as how our elections are, are handled. Um, you know, you had a situation where uh, Lisa Murkowski's brother-in-law was uh, designated in charge of the ballots, uh, you know, after the election and, and just things like that, that, you know, in any other state, you'd be like, how is that even possible? But uh, <laughs> in this state, it is, yeah. and that's our history and that's our track record. So it, it's bad. Um, I, I won't try and paint, you know, rose colored uh, something over it, but, uh, but I think people have an idea now of just how bad it is. And that was the prerequisite to being able to fix it. Yeah. And even in, when you look at some of the municipal elections, the, the Bronson election, um, you had his supporters having to physically park themselves with an RV at the uh, election central because they witnessed boxes of ballots coming in and out of there and nobody having any idea after hours and nobody having any accountability to who's and <laughs> where they came from and all that kind of stuff. So even at a local level, um, I think people are people and people make mistakes and people um, are susceptible to, uh, you know, doing bad things, regardless of if it's a national state thing, even down to the local level. So um, thanks for, you know, do, spearheading that. Um, can, you know, I think one thing I read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is I believe you're on the rules committee. And I think I've read somewhere where you guys haven't had us like actually met as a committee for like this whole year, or maybe even like the last two years. What can you talk a little bit about that and why, uh, yes, why I that's can, happening? <laughs> that seems, a lot about that. <laughs> that seems just crazy to me. Like, you know, uh, I don't think the average person has any idea that that's happening. I mean, I didn't know it until I read, read, I think you put it, posted it on a blog or something like that. And I read it and I was like, holy crap, how is this even possible? Yeah, it's, it, it's great. You know, um, Paul Seaton, when he was in charge of the finance committee uh, during my first term, um, you know, he, he was outed during the committee meeting because, you know, he was talking about, you know, the, the language committee got together and we, you know, put forward these changes to the budget and uh, a lot of the intent language and, and other things that are in the budget. And, um, and then one of the Republicans on the committee asked him, you know, 
who's the language committee? And, and you know, he kind of sheepishly said, well, it's, it's, it's me. And everybody <laughs> kind of like, what? Um, but that's, that's, that's where politics goes if you let it. I mean, <laughs> the concentration of power in the hands of a few is bad enough. And then you get to a situation where it's concentration of power in the hands of one. Uh, one person, two hands, and, and they are acting on behalf of, of everyone else. And in this state, I think um, as much as any other state and, and perhaps more than any other state has allowed the concentration of power into the hands of, of one, two, three people. And, and it's easier in this state because we have the smallest state house and we have the smallest state senate in the country. Um, so it's already in a smaller number of hands. And, and the U.S. Supreme Court has recognized that our small size leads us uh, susceptible more than other states to corruption. And, and our process has been corrupted. And we've allowed that to happen. Um, the Rules Committee is you know, arguably the most powerful committee uh, in the state. And, and it's assumed um, by, by some legislators that, well, that just means we're going to give all that power to one person, whoever the chair is. Uh, that's their reward for being chair. That's their reward for being part of the finding caucus and signing on to, to that commitment. Um, so it's our job, you know, since we're also part of that system to protect, uh, you know, his right to basically run the show and, and not hold meetings or, or, or anything like that. And, and that is not the way the process was designed. Uh, there's, there's no option for that in, in the rules and the procedures that, you know, are in law. But that is assumed that, you know, that's just going to be the way it is. And, and that's, you know, also the case for many other areas. That just happens to be a particularly obvious and glaring example. So um, at some point, our state will be free of the binding caucus. That, that's another big project we've been working on for a lot of years. Uh, until that happens, conservatives will not have uh, a fair voice in our legislature. Yeah, some of the stuff I I think about how you know some how is somebody not in jail because this seems like some horse trading going on that is not beneficial to the state. So, um, thanks for explaining that a little bit for folks who maybe haven't heard about that before. Um, one of my last questions is this, Representative Eastman: Who is your hero? I know that a lot of folks in the elected official world have folks that they look up to, and maybe those folks helped inspire them to first run or um, maybe run for the second time because they lost the first time and, and uh, everybody's got a hero in their life. Who's your hero and why? Sure. Sure. Well, I, I've got, I start off with, with heroes that weren't necessarily in politics. Um, both of my grandfathers were in world war II. Uh, my grandfather's the second wife uh, is from France. Um, she actually penned a book a little while back um, called the, the Man Who Stole the Plans to the Luftwaffe, uh, who was her father. And, and he was a spy for the resistance, um, you know, uh, particularly against the Luftwaffe. And, and so, I, I mean, I have uh, some great examples uh, in my family to look to. Um, on the political side, uh, it, it's, it's hard to do better than Calvin Coolidge. And um, I think he was by far our, our most remarkable president, certainly in the last uh, couple of centuries. And um, you know, I also had the opportunity to sit down and have drinks with Nigel Farage before he was you know, a name that Americans had heard of uh, before Brexit and, and the like. Uh, but he, at that point, he had already been in the uh, European Parliament for you know, over a decade. 
And, and what stood out to me about him and Calvin Coolidge both is that uh, rare for politicians, you know, 10 years into that experience and, and having served in various positions, he never forgot why he got involved in politics and, and he never let that change. Um, so uh, politics is a system and process that changes people and, and it's designed to change people. It's designed to take you from, you know, the person you were before you got elected and then make you, you know, one of the um, acceptable members of the political elite. Uh, and Calvin Coolidge, even as president of the United States, uh, never, um, never allowed that to happen to him. And Nigel Farage, as, as high in, in leadership in Europe and Britain as he was, never allowed that to happen to him. So uh, that's just remarkable um, and heroic in my opinion. That's awesome. Well, how does somebody get to know what you're doing? You know, do you have an active website that you keep up? Do you have a Facebook? How does somebody, you know, find out all the things that you're doing? And then is there anything else you'd like to leave us with before we kind of head off here? Sure. Well, I, one of the things you can do is you can pick up the phone, you can give me a call. Uh, I try to be accessible, particularly to those in my district or, or someone where there's some way that I can uh, be of help as a conservative uh, in the legislature. Um, sometimes uh, those can be hard to find. Uh, I try to, to make myself easy to find for that reason. Um, DavidEastman.org is my website. Uh, you can also find me on Telegram, uh, David Eastman, or uh, you know, some of the other social media. So uh, I'm on Truth Social. I'm uh, I'm on some of the other channels, Caucus Room and whatnot. But I think your best bet is probably uh, Telegram. Uh, second best is going to be Facebook. But always go to my website if you're you're looking for the uh, the latest. Awesome. Do you have a generic office number that you can give here uh, on the uh, show yes. for folks? Yes, you can call me at 465-2186, and that uh, will get to me either if I'm in Juneau or back in Wasilla during the interim after session. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Representative David Eastman, for joining us on the Must Read Alaska show. Um, keep fighting the good fight. I know that you're somebody who sticks to, um, if there's one thing we could say about you, you're somebody who sticks to what you feel you're called to do, and you hold the line on what you feel is right and wrong. And so oftentimes people don't necessarily appreciate that or agree with that, but you stay true to that. It seems like on every single vote that you do. So I appreciate that. Um, if you're tuning into the Must Free Alaska show and uh, you want to help fund this, just go right, go on right ahead. You can go to mustreadalaska.com and on the right-hand side there, there's a donate button. Uh, we, we operate on uh, donations from folks all over Alaska in the lower 48. Uh, we don't, we're not funded by a foundation like other large news organizations here in Alaska. We are funded by small donors, uh, hundreds of them every month. So uh, we want to thank folks for listening to Must Free Alaska. We also want to thank uh, Charlie Pierce for governor for being our show sponsor and helping us spread conservative news through all the nooks and crannies of Alaska. Uh, James Basden will be on the show Friday morning uh, talking about politics in Alaska. He kind of covers what's happened the last week. And so tune into him Friday morning. And then Suzanne and I will be back on the show Monday morning. Uh, and if you missed it this week, we uh, you want to tune into the last show because we interviewed Santa Claus, who is a independent democratic socialist. Uh, nice gentleman. He uh, probably him and I don't agree on much, but he is a <laughs> he is a hoot to talk to. So for folks that missed the Monday show, uh, tune in and listen to Santa Claus. It's a pretty, it's a 
entertaining to say the least. So until next time, from somewhere in Alaska, I'm signing off your host, John Quick. Hope you have a marvelous rest of your day. Thank you so much, David Eastman, for joining us. You bet.